0: She shall be woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no
1: shame. Come on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful, we're thankful for this moment, this time, this space that we get to share together. And Lord, I pray over these next few moments, Lord, that any words of mine, God, would just fall to the floor And may, God, your words rise. And, God, just penetrate our hearts, Lord, uh, to bring about true change and transformation. And, God, as your servants here in this space, this is what we say. Speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, come on. Everybody said. Amen. amen And amen. So, family, Katie and I, uh, this May, we will celebrate Uh, Ten years of marriage. Come on now. Watch out. And in the nearly 10 years of of marriage, let me tell you, uh, we have uh, learned some things. Uh, Katie's probably had more lessons to learn than than I did, but we have learned some things because of me is what I mean by that. (laughs) Just so we clear. (laughs) And the reality is you don't have to be married, you know, 10 years to find out that There are some things to learn, Uh, but we have, and so there's some lessons that we've learned, some things that we uh, feel like are lessons to share. Uh, Also, just uh, having the opportunity to, uh, through ministry and just doing life with people, uh, we've been able to observe uh, marriages and walk with people, and through that, we have discovered that there are different ways that people, uh, that married couples approach marriage. There are different uh, philosophies and ways of thinking, and um, there are two approaches particularly uh, that we often see, and that's people to take, uh, choose to take a contract or contractual approach or either one of a covenant. Now, you may ask the question, well, what's the difference? I feel like that sounds like the same thing. Well, let's define them. First, a contract is a document of terms and conditions, so if you ever signed a contract, there's the terms, there's, there are the conditions that both parties are saying that they're going to adhere to. But then there's a covenant. A covenant is an, an agreement between two people, and it's, it's formal, it's sacred, it's, it's a bond that two people are saying we are not going to break. And again, you may have the question, well, isn't that the same thing? So let's look at it in a different way. So here's what a contract says. A contract says we are going to protect our rights and limit our responsibilities. So it's all about what I can protect and what I can limit. While a covenant says we give up our rights and we pick up responsibilities. So you see the difference there. So a contract is saying this is what I want to protect and this is what I want to limit. But the perspective of a covenant says here's what I'm going to give up. And here's what we're going to pick up. And so perhaps now having just distinguished the difference between the two, maybe some of us in the room right now is like, yo, we, we, we need a perspective shift. And listen, if you're dating, if you're engaged, or even if, if you're not dating, this is a great opportunity and you desire to be married. This is a great opportunity to have that shift before you go any further. That, hey, there needs to be an understanding of exactly what you're about to step into. That you're not getting ready to enter a contract with terms and conditions, but rather step into a covenant that is sacred and holy. And if you're married in the room, this is an opportunity to be uh, reminded of, of what you have stepped into. That it's not a contract. That it's not about what you're trying to limit and protect. But rather, it's about what you're trying Uh, to give up and pick up in the context of a covenant. And so here's the title of our message today. It is this, why did I get married? Why did I get married? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, well, I don't know. Don't do that. Don't do that this week. We'll save that for next week. Just write it down. Why did I get married? And don't start to answer it just yet. Listen, family. Culture treats marriage like we treat cars. We use them, drive them, and then after about five years, we trade them in for the newer, younger, fancier version. Now, as I say that, this conversation today is not intended for any of us to feel shame because the marriage didn't work, because it ended. That's not what this is about but it's really to hear of the heart of God in this conversation and to see his redemptive work. But with that said, let's look at verse 24 of our opening text. It says this, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So here's what that means. It means that a man's Response to his wife is to leave his parents, leave his family, leave everything else at the moment that he says, I do. The man is transferring his loyalty from his parents and family to his wife. It doesn't mean that he disowns his family. It doesn't mean that he disregards his parents. It doesn't mean that he dismissed everyone that he knew before. But he is stating at the moment that he says, I do, that I am choosing her first and that she has become priority. Are you tracking with me? Right. That providing for her, caring for her has become his number one priority over doing the same for anything else. And can I tell you, when kids enter the scene, I tell my kids already now so they understand I choose her. So no matter what y'all doing, because I'll get old and then y'all forget about me, but she'll still be there. Come on, you can do it. (laughs) I choose her. Don't let them know now. Don't talk crazy, don't look crazy, don't act crazy, because it's her. But he's also telling his wife, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm here to stay with you, to be with you in a willful, lasting way. What is Scripture telling us? Scripture is talking about a covenant. The two will become one flesh, depicting their exclusive sexual bond to each other and the establishment of a family. But remember, some of us, we may need a shift right now in this moment. Because, and it's not because of a negligence. It's just honestly, culture has programmed us to think contractually instead of covenant. And when it's covenant, we shift from the rights we want to protect to the rights we want to give up. We move from the responsibilities we want to limit to the responsibilities we want to pick up. So for the rest of our time together, that's how we're going to track. Because listen, I feel like our marriages should be thriving should be vibrant, should be exciting, not dull, not mundane, not here's another day, but just looking forward to every moment and to help us track that way, we're going to dive in first to the rights that we give up.
0: So the first right that we're going to talk about today is priority. Now, if I mess this word up, please, goodness, we were uh, looking at this and priority was getting me. (laughs) So we'll start in Matthew 6, 33. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be given to you as well. When I said yes to following Jesus, I said no to doing things my way. I was surrendering my life to Jesus. I was giving up my right to determine the direction of my life. I was deciding to no longer make decisions in isolation but rather in consultation with God because I was giving up the right to do just what I wanted to do and Jesus got the priority. In similar way, that's kind of what marriage looks like. It's saying, I'm going to give up the ability to decide what's priority. I can't jump into a decision that when I was single, I would normally make on my own, that it's uh, tough, especially if you're like, I'm strong, I'm independent, I've been doing my own thing, I got this job, why do I have to wait for a conversation with him? So it's just like a car, like I'm not going to just go, (laughs) I'm not just about to go out and buy a new car without a discussion with Michael, because it could affect our finances, it could affect, depending on the size of the car, if it's smaller, in fact, driving our kids around, especially Um, It just would affect the way of our life. So I can't make a decision all by myself. And the reason why we do this is because it's no longer about me, but it's about we. And if we're going to work, I have to recognize the bigger picture, that it's not just two people dwelling, trying to coexist. It's two people who have become one. When I give up the priority, I'm saying it's not just about me, but it's about we, In order to give up priority, you have to let go of pride. Pride will tell you to make your own decision. Pride will tell you that you're grown, and you can do this on your own, like I said before. So if I step on your toe, I'm sorry, but not sorry. So if you're talking to your single friend, and your single friend is saying, why do you have to ask him to buy that, to do that, to buy that bag? You got that job. You got that bonus like we don't we're gonna have a conversation about that so that's when pride will have to die the quickest way to destroy a marriage is to sow the seed of pride and water it with daily selfishness and isolation ultimately you will reap what you harvest of discontentment and disunity so we must give up priority
1: So we must give up priority. And I'm glad him got a name, you know, Michael. Michael. I got to talk to him. But we also, we got to give up ownership. We must give up ownership. Listen, marriage will change your language up real quick. You go from me, myself, and I to we, us, and ours. What used to be yours is now ours. Your money is now our money. Your car is now our car. Here it is. Your debt is now our debt. Yes, yes it is. Somebody said, no it's not. (laughs) You took them loans out at 21. (laughs) Your body is now our body. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 4. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Now, a verse like that can easily make us start squirming in our seat, especially in the context of today's world, where the sentiment is, no one can tell me what to do with my body. That is my body, and it's my choice. But listen, the fact that we're reading it here, and this was written years ago, ago, thousands of years ago by the Apostle Paul, it tells us that this just isn't a 2024 conversation that the sentiment has been that, But here's a little bit more context to Paul's conversation. In many cultures, in the culture specifically that Paul was speaking into, a wife's body was not considered uh, to uh, belong to her, but it was considered to completely belong to the husband. But listen, this wasn't a mutual thing. The husband's body didn't belong to the wife. In fact, they went so deep with this idea of the superiority of man that they didn't even consider the idea of male adultery. It just was non-existent. It didn't exist. But this is why... Christianity is so countercultural because this is what Christianity says. It says that both parties are so closely connected that they have mutual authority over each other's bodies. Instead of pushing this male dominance, it's about mutual submission in this area of marriage. Now, if you're still cringing right now and you don't own your body, Listen. I hear you, I understand, I get it. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You've never owned your body because your body has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty of sin. Man couldn't do it. We, we could not figure it out. The law was not enough. Jesus came, he fulfilled it, he died, he rose again, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he was the perfect sacrifice for the payment that sin requires. So we've been bought with a price. And because of that truth, Paul, he tells us this in Romans 12.1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in the fact that he just didn't wipe out humanity, but he sent his son Jesus for us, in view of that, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God that this is your true and proper worship. Not the songs you sing, not your Spotify uh, set playlist, not your Apple, Apple Music playlist, but to offer your life, your body as a living sacrifice is a true and proper form of worship. And I love, this. I love that because it really shows us this picture of marriage because marriage is a picture of what a relationship between Jesus and those who are living in his redemptive work look like. That it's about submission, submitting our life to his will, surrendering to him. It's expressing that I've surrendered my rights to have authority over my body to Christ. And that's the same posture that we take into marriage. So we must give up ownership.
0: And the third right we are to give up is the right to privacy. In Genesis 2.25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. God's earliest example of marriage is that Adam and Eve were both naked and unashamed, which meant they had nothing to hide. There was no privacy. This is the picture of marriage that God wants us to live today because as husbands and wives, we're not living private lives, but we're together lives, meaning this, that I don't get to hide my phone or have other numbers. I don't have just my passwords to my things that I don't share. I don't have a secret bank account. Um, I don't even get frown. I don't even frown up when I get home from work and He asked me, how was your day? Every part of our lives is what we share together. Marriage is not a private institution, but an intimate one. Intimacy isn't just what we share in the bedroom, but it's also how we share our lives. It's in every single day in those moments. Marriage isn't a contract. We're not trying to protect our rights, but give up our rights. In the same way, we're not trying to limit our responsibilities, but we pick up responsibilities. In Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the the wife as Christ is head of the church his body of which he is the savior these verses represent an attitude that doesn't try to limit our responsibility but instead chooses to pick up responsibility it's making it a mission to love our spouses well and giving up privacy helps us to do that well
1: yeah so here we are we've been discussing you know what we need to give up but remember it's not just about uh, what we give up but it's also about the responsibilities uh, that we pick up because that's what a covenant is it's not a contract uh, where we're trying to limit and protect but it's a covenant where we're saying hey we're giving up these rights and we're going to pick up these responsibilities and so here's the first responsibility that we're picking up which is to love unconditionally look at Romans 5.8 it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No one, no one knows you like you know you. <laughs> we know ourselves well. And if we're honest right now, we know that there are some skeletons in the closet, that we have some issues. In fact, our issues may even have issues if we think about it. But can I tell you, no matter how true that is, God loves you. Come on sir. Come on, I don't think some of us got I might be at the wrong church. Like no matter how true that is, no matter your flaws, come on, no matter your issues, no matter your struggles, no matter how you miss the mark, no matter how you say I'm not going to do that again but I do it again, God still loves you. Right. That even in our sin. I knew I was at the right church. Even in our sin. Even in our mess. That he has chosen to love us. And can I tell you, that is amazing. You know what it's called? It's called agape love, which means this, unconditional love. That he loves us with no strings attached. He says, I see you where you are. I see you in your mess. I see you in your struggle. It's not about how you got to clean up, clean up to come to me. No, God came down and came to us and he picked us up out of the pit and says, my love will change you. My love will heal you. My love will bring freedom and deliverance to your life. It's unconditional love. Unconditional love. It looks past where we are today. And it sees where we can be tomorrow. I see the mess today. I see the struggle tomorrow, today. But I'm looking at your tomorrow. Right. It may look like you're taking some L's today, but I see some wins tomorrow. Think about it, family. How many marriages could be strong and vibrant because we chose to love each other unconditionally? Because we made a decision. We said this, that I love you where you are. But I can't let you stay there, that I'm going to choose to speak to the best parts of you, not just to the worst parts of you because it becomes quite aware in the marriage of the, the, the worst parts of us. But can we speak to the best parts of us? You say, well listen, they don't have any best parts of them. Listen, well let me bring some correction to that. Each and every one of us, we have been created in the image of God. So that right there is the best part of them. So you get to speak to the creator of the, the image, the Imago day in which they have been created in. And so if they're not doing this, that, and the other, start speaking joy over them. Start speaking love over them. Start speaking servanthood over them. Start speaking care over them. Speak to the best parts of them. Because unconditional love is there for the wins, but it's also there for the losses. I think about years ago, this is some unconditional love right here. When I I tore my Achilles and I got the cast, this is nasty, I got the cast torn off. Glenn, you know about this, you know about this, Glenn. And uh, Katie will wash my foot Come on now. And it was nasty. And that skin was, I'll uh, move on. I said, girl, you really do love me. <laughs> it's true story. <laughs> Unconditional love is there for the wins and the losses. Unconditional love is there for the six-pack, but it's also there for the handles. Thank you for being here for the handles. I, I really, that means a lot. That means a lot. But can we love unconditionally? Because unconditional love is an expression of the vows we exchanged in the covenant we've made. Where we said for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, it's expression of those vows.
0: And the second responsibility we pick up is honor respectfully. So to honor is to consider. So how... How are we considering each other in our marriage? One of the best ways to consider each other is to think about the ways that your uh, spouse best feels loved. Like when does their love tank feel is is being filled so Gary Chapman wrote a book years ago ago called The Five Love Languages and it expresses five ways that most people feel loved and the importance of loving their spouse in those ways and I would highly recommend that book to any married couple um, if you have not uh, read that and it's words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, gifts and physical touch. So, I know one of Michael's love languages is gifts. So, I'm going to be intentional with my gift giving. Um, I know that fills his uh, love tank and it's a way to honor him. It's probably not going to fill his love tank if I go outside and mow the lawn as an act of service. (laughs) He prefers a gift. So we can't make the mistake of wanting to honor our spouse in the way that we want to feel loved. So I remember when we first got married, Michael would buy me gifts all the time, and I appreciate them. It just wasn't my love language. It's more acts of service. So I realized that every time he bought me something, he was trying to also buy himself something. (laughs) So in Hebrews 13, 4, it says, give honor to marriage, remain faithful to one another in marriage. Let's pick up the responsibility of honoring our spouse. Yes.
1: That's good. And uh, you caught on to my trick because every time I was like, man, I'm going to show up to the house. But look, what I got you. Girl, I was thinking about you all day. And it's like, what else you get? You know, so you, you caught up on that. But... <laughs> <laughs> As we close today, this is our uh, final responsibility. And this is not an all-inclusive list, but for our time uh, together, uh, here's the last one we're going to discuss today, and it's this, to submit uh, mutually. You know, fellas, we love that verse. We love to quote Ephesians 5.22 that says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Be in the house, talking about you better submit, girl. <laughs> That's what the words say you need to submit and we are word people so you need to do what the word says but <laughs> what we fail to remember or either ignore whichever one is the verse just above it five to hold on now hold on <laughs> hold on hold on <laughs> can i say it first <laughs> ephesians 5:21 That says the whole truth. (laughs) Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what does that mean? It means mutual submission. That is not just one way, but it's a mutual thing. And mutual submission, it's mutual submission with different expressions. Almost kind of like what you're speaking about in terms of love languages. So husbands... Or this is for the wives right here, Ephesians 5, 22. It says, why submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, ladies, submit here does not mean to become a slave or that you're under, you know, this dictatorship. But it means to have a voluntary attitude, which is honor. More, More than sex, men desire honor. Now, culture says that's not the case, but it is. Think about the reaction of a man when someone's disrespecting him, when someone is calling him outside of his name, when someone is throwing salt on his name, throwing dirt on his name. That, that rises up a certain type of, of, of feeling out of him. Because as, as men, we want honor. And we want that especially from our wives. And so simple things of, thank you. For how you protect this home. Thank you for how you love our children. Thank you for how you care for me. Thank you for mowing the lawn. Thank you for stopping buying gifts I'm talking about you were getting them for me, but it's really, <laughs> <laughs> but it's simple ways of just, thank you for taking the trash out. I never have to worry about a full trash. Just simple things like that, because if you want more of that replicated, keep with the honor. He like, what you need, girl? Anything, you name it. I'll build you a house if that's what it takes. Because men desire honor. Now, to the wives, Ephesians 5.24, or for the husbands, I should say. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And furthermore, that, it goes on and talks about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fellas, y'all are missing your moments, but the ladies are not. Let's just make that clear. But it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So, so, you know, fellas, we like to talk about the whole submit thing. But Paul is saying, listen, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The church isn't an institution or organization. It's, it's an organization and it's an organism. It's both. Right. It's, so it's, it's people. And What did Jesus do? He died for them. That's right. So that means his husbands die to yourself. To love your wife. Now, what does that mean? It's telling us this, that wives, that they need us as husbands to speak the language of love. So as men need honor, wives need the language of love. And what does that look like? It's simple in the same way. I love what you did with your hair. I love that dress you're wearing. That's how you this morning, you look so good today. I like the thing you did with your hair, this outfit, this all black. I like that. That looks good. Yeah. (laughs) Take notes if you know. Take notes. Don't miss the opportunity. Or just simply, I love you. And here's what we can't do, fellas. We can't make the mistake. Of thinking the language of love is sex, I know it is to us. But listen, to your wife, it's it's not that, because the language of love for your wife it starts way before the bedroom. Amen. It is simply those moments of I love you, you look nice today, I love what you did with your hair. And um, as we close, help us land this plane. <laughs> when you speak the language of love to your wife, it shows her. That you see her, and that she matters to you. This is important because men and women we navigate life and the changes of life and, and the seasons of life differently. than men, it's men and women navigate them differently. Uh, fellas, there's, there's, I mean, yes, you know, we're affected. You know, we have a kid, but not like your wife. It's different. And so you may say, "Well, I told her I love her when we exchanged vows. We got married." She know I love her. I get her stuff. Take out the trash. But no, it means so much to her through all the changes, through all the kids, through all the different things that happen that you can just tell her, I love you, that you look good. Like the moment you first saw her express that same excitement and zeal to her, no matter if it's 10 years, 15 years, or 50 years, because that tells her, he sees me that I matter to him, that he notices me. So we got to speak the language of love. And again, as we land this plane, I don't know if you've ever seen someone that's really good at their craft. They're just really good at what they do to the point that it looks easy for them. Take Steph Curry, point guard for the Golden State Warriors, for example. When you see him shoot a three, it's so easy to say, He makes that look easy and he does. But the reality is it looks easy to him, but it's the result of a lot of work that he's put in over the years. And the same is true, family, for those marriages of examples that you see. The chemistry looks well. It looks easy. It looks like they just, it's like butter. It looks like that. But that's the result of work. It takes work. And I'm afraid that many of us, we think that we can just say I do and get in the house together and it just magically happens. That at the first sign of a disagreement or argument, we're ready to go our separate ways. But listen, family, it takes work. And can I tell you that disagreement is part of the work it takes because we're two different people coming from two different contexts. And so it takes work to gain the understanding. And one of the main distractors of getting that work done to Satan because he is an enemy to marriages. He wants to destroy marriages because marriages represent what God instituted before the church, which is the family. In the very beginning, we see it. And so his mindset: said, I can destroy the church if I get the family first. And all he does is start with accusation. Revelation 12.10, the accuser of our brothers and sisters that's who he is he's the ac- ac- accuser and he speaks the language of accusation can you believe he did that can you believe he didn't tell you first can you believe she said that can you believe she always wants to hang with the girls and that can you believe how she just purchased that and didn't even let you know can you they didn't even notice what you did to your hair. they didn't even know she didn't even say thank you for filling up the gas I won't eat yet again like real thing like, <laughs> she didn't even say thank you. But all that, what is it? It's accusation. And then when we listen to the accuser, we start to go, you know what? You're right. But he, has, he doesn't have new tricks. It's the same thing in the beginning. Well, he didn't, he didn't really say that. Well, he's just saying that he, really, he don't want y'all to do that because then you're going to become like him. It's the same trick. And he does that to cause conflict. But there are some ways that we can resolve conflict. We can choose to listen. Don't just hear, but listen. We can choose to consider. Consider this, that you could actually be wrong. Reject, reject the voice of the accuser. Focus, focus on the problem, not the person. Can I tell you, your spouse is not your enemy. Let me say it again. Your spouse is not your enemy. The disagreement is. Satan is. And so there's no I won. Me winning is us losing. And if us losing, that means I'm losing. And so your spouse is not the problem. The problem is we can change. Learn how to change your response. Why did I mean it like that? Well, that's how I received it. Well, that's your fault. No. Communicate differently. If you know that's how they perceive it, then change it. Say it in a different way. And that just, yeah, it may help their receptors then. But it's not, well, it's on you to change. It ain't my fault. That's how you listen. It's not how it goes. Same team. And then the wait. Don't rush the process. This one was the difficult one for me because, like, in the beginning, we had these disagreements. And I'm, I'm like, let's solve it now. Let's get it done. I don't feel like it. And Katie is such a processor. And I'm like, you still not done getting over this? I may, I may have said that before. I had a lot of growing up to do. Lord, help me. But wait, don't rush it. And then compromise. Move your thinking from I to we. So then you can answer that question. Why did I get married? Because you pull out the best things in me. And hopefully I get to pull out the best things in you. And together we can fulfill the call of God that he's placed on our lives. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's pray, family.